Welcome to the City Church Sermon Podcast. City Church is a new church located in the city of Frisco, Texas, just north of Dallas. Our hope and prayer is that the following message can serve as an encouragement and as a blessing and inspiration in your walk with Christ. If you have any questions about City Church and want more information about us or you want to visit during one of our Sunday celebrations, please visit us online at citychurchfrisco.org or email us at hello at citychurchfrisco.org. If you would like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at citychurchfrisco.org slash give. Thank you for listening. Why can't I do that? Why, why can't I look at that? Why can't I inquire about that? Why can't I go in there? Why can't I see that, feel that, taste that, know what that is? And God gave us free will. God gave us the opportunity for you and I to decide what truly is the path that you and I want to choose. God does not force himself upon us. And the same way with Adam and Eve, they had free will to choose whether or not they were going to obey God. In the middle of this perfect garden, in the middle of this perfect creation, in the middle of this peace, this paradise, they decide that that one thing that they were told not to do was way too enticing. And it all happened through a single conversation. They eat of the fruit and they immediately become aware of wrong in their lives. They immediately become aware that they're naked in the garden and all of a sudden God is calling for them and they're afraid, they're scared. And at that moment, the results of their decision, the result of their action is that This world becomes broken and fallen. That was in the beginning. But see, as we read through the Word of God, as we read through the Bible, we begin to see a picture of a God who keeps calling to His people. God loves His creation. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves me. Oh, come on, like you believe it. Say, God loves me. God loves his creation and he continues calling to man. And and he calls to Abraham and promises this this nation that will come from him. That as the stars are numbered in the sky, so shall be his descendants. He calls to Noah and says, you have to come out of this evil world and I will save you and your family and we will restart. And then he calls out to Jacob. He calls out to Jacob who later on will be named Israel. And promises that, the, tells him that that promise he made to Abraham will continue through him. He uses David to call to his people. And he uses other kings. And as we read the word of God, we see that he is using prophets. He's using men of God to call his people to repentance. Because the story, the narrative that we find in the Bible is that God always is desiring a relationship with you and with me. But yet, the theme that we continuously find in the Bible is that man is constantly fighting with God and turning from Him. 
rejecting him. God establishes a law. You know those, those four or five books in the Bible, the very beginning that we don't like to read through because it's very, very difficult, very tedious, and it talks about laws and sacrifices and the sprinkling of bulls and lambs and the, all these things, and we can't make sense of it. But at the heart of the law was that God desired relationship with you and with me, but because he is a holy God and sin cannot be before him, there were certain requirements that needed to be met for you and I to come before him. But we were unable to fill the law, fulfill the law. But then 2,000 years ago, around 2,000 years ago, hope was born. In a small, little, unassuming town. And this hope that came in the form of a baby, that came in the form of a child, begins to grow and begins to develop and then begins to develop a ministry at the age of 30 where Jesus begins preaching a radical message of love. Whereas the religious people of that time were all about the law. You must fulfill the law. You must complete the law. If you are to be righteous before God, you must fulfill the law. But Jesus is coming and saying, yes, the law is important, but you should love. Love should excite all of us because at the end of the day, we're all kind of looking for some, some kind of a, a, a validation in our lives. We're looking for love. We're looking for someone to, to care for us. And if you tell me, no, I don't need anybody in my life, well, I'm going to outright just say you're lying because we all were created. We were wired to live with one another. And Jesus begins to preach a message of love. And it was such a simple message. It was such an easy message to listen to that the religious leaders of that time missed it. And not only did they miss it, they rejected it. See, Jesus arrives on the scene. He's healing the sick. He's making the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He is casting out demons. He's a, a modern-day superhero. He's raising the dead uh, to life. And Jesus is doing all these things, and yet the religious leaders of that time, they missed it. They missed it. Reminds me of a story in Mark chapter 5, verse 24, we're not going to read through it, but I just put it up here for you guys to know which story it was. It's the woman with the hemorrhage. And the Bible talks about this woman that, that has been bleeding for 12 years now. And she's gone to doctors. She's gone to different places. And no one could heal her. No one could make her well. No one could stop her bleeding. And the Bible describes the scene that, that Jesus is walking through a crowd. And, they, and, the, and it's very descriptive. It says that the crowd is pressing against Jesus 
And that this lady, this woman sees Jesus and has heard about what Jesus can do and was filled with faith. And she said that if only, if only I could at least touch the hem of his garment, if I could just reach out and just have a little touch, then I will be healed. But the crowd pressed against Jesus. And I wonder how many times that you and I do the same thing. That this woman went up to Jesus, touches Jesus. She is immediately healed. And as people are pressing against Jesus, Jesus stops and turns around and says, Somebody's touched me. Who, who touched me? Was it you? You? Who, who, who touched me? But Jesus, come on, Jesus, there's, look at all this crowd. How can you say that? If somebody touched you, they're all pressing against you. Yes, but somebody touched me and I felt power go out of me. See, sometimes we miss it. Today, there are thousands upon thousands upon millions of people gathering at church just like you and I are. And we're pressing against God, but we are pressing yet not receiving anything. We need to not only press against Jesus, but we need to be open to receive from him. Because we can all press. We can all show up on Sundays. We can all go to small groups. We can all go uh, pray for one another. But when are we truly going to come up against Jesus filled with faith, filled with hope, and receive the promise that he has offered us, receive the healing that he wants to give us, receive the hope that he wants to fill our lives with? We can't just press against Jesus. We need to receive his love, we need to receive what he offers us. So Jesus is going through his ministry. He's healing people. Uh, he's uh, preaching uh, and teaching some amazing, amazing, uh, we can call them philosophies, we can call them wisdom, we can call it whatever, but he is preaching word that gives life. And we come to this weekend or this week of, uh, uh, of where he goes to Jerusalem. Last Sunday, it's Palm Sunday. And as Jesus made his triumphant entrance into Jerusalem, the word of God tells us that people were laying palms down before him and they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the one who, the, to the son of David, to the one who comes of the Lord. They shouted, Hosanna. Hosanna, what does Hosanna mean? It means to save, to rescue, a savior. But yet, the same people, the same crowd, the same group of people that were crying Hosanna to a savior, the next Friday they were yelling out, crucify him. Crucify him. Why? See, on Palm Sunday, the people were praising God through aspirations, 
We got to catch this. Because they were expecting a Messiah. They were wanting, desiring, and they had an aspiration for a Messiah that would come to stop the oppression of the Romans, to come and take his place as the ruler of Jerusalem, as the ruler of the people of God. And they were expecting a, a political Messiah, a political Savior. But when they began to realize this is not what Jesus is coming for, this is not what he was going to, this is not the answer to the prayer that I was praying for, they began to yell, crucify him. See, we praise God through our expectations, yet we reject them when his answers fall short of our aspirations. You know what? I have these great expectations. I believe God's going to bless me. I have these, this, I believe that God is going to, to do this and answer this prayer. God is going to give me this car. God is going to give me this house. God is giving me this education. God is going to give me this job. But the moment that God says, I am going to give you something, but it's not what you're expecting, do we become like these people that say, crucify him? This is not what I wanted. Jesus, this is not what I wanted for my life. This is not what I was praying for. This is not the answer. This is not what I was looking for. This is not what I expected. God, I, I need this job that will pay well. I need this job that is going to uh, uh, elevate me in position. But yet, they, they're, they're, they're neglecting me or they're, they're ne denying me the job. Why is it, God? And when his answers fall short of what we want, we tend to back off. We tend to, I don't like the way this feels. I don't want to go through this process. I want this to be immediate. I want this to happen now. And we reject them. The people cry, crucify him. Crucify him. We need a political savior. We need a, 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 a military savior. But Jesus did not open his mouth. He remained silent through the whole process. Why did he remain silent? Well, we go back to the beginning once again. God created you. God created me. He loves you. He loves me. Because of this love, God set forth a plan of redemption. John chapter 3, verse 16. We all know this verse. For God so loved the world. What does it say? Let's all say it together. For God Because of love. God remained, Jesus remained silent, did not open his mouth. Because of sin that had entered this world through a simple little conversation, mankind was in need of redemption. Mankind was in need of a savior. The holiness of God demanded to be satisfied. demanded to be satisfied. See, Romans 6.28 is very clear. It says that the wages of sin 
is death. See, you and I can sit here and say, I deserve this job. I deserve to be, uh, to be paid attention to. I deserve to live well. I deserve to be happy. I deserve uh, for a good life. I deserve to have a good husband, a good wife. I deserve to have good kids. I deserve, we deserve nothing, church. The Bible is very explicit and very, very true. It says that the wages of sin... Is death. But see, sometimes we stop there, but there is another portion to that Bible verse. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Jesus took our sin to the cross. Now, this is a, a nicely made up cross. But in reality, the cross was a symbol of, of death. The, the, the cross was a symbol that nobody, nobody wanted to experience, nobody wanted to see. It wasn't something gratifying. But Jesus took our sin to that cross, and he paid the price for you and for me. He died in my place. He died in your place. And this all happened on Friday. On Friday, he carries his cross up to, to Calvary. He, he, he is nailed to that, to that tree, and he's lifted up for the whole world to see, for him to be shamed, for him to be spit upon, for him to be uh, looked down upon, for him to be made fun of. He was put on display for the world, for your sins and for my sins. But see, there was something that the devil didn't count on. There was something that the religious leaders of that time did not count on. They did not count that Sunday was on its way. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible, share it with your neighbor. Or open your, if you have a Bible app in your phone, your iPad, your even your Android device can sometimes be Christian. Luke chapter 23. I, I, I think, yeah, we have the reference up here. I, I didn't put it because I want you to read this from your Bible. Luke chapter 23. I'm going to start in verse 55. Luke chapter 23, verse 55, the Bible says, the, woman, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Chapter 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, 
The women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? See, on Sunday morning, Jesus was no longer in the tomb. And these women had seen Jesus laid in the tomb. They had seen the hurried preparations that they went home on Friday to prepare uh, the embalming process for Jesus. That on Sunday morning when they got to the tomb, they could embalm him. They can prepare him for, his, for, his, uh, for him to be laid to rest. But why is this important? Well, these women did a lot of work to prepare some spices, to prepare these things for the, for the burial. And the Bible says that they got up early in the morning, they took the spices with them, and now don't think this is just a little McCormick bottle of spices, okay? They, they had to take this big uh, burden with them. They had to take this, this, uh, th- these spices with them. It was some work that they had to do. And they got to the tomb, but it was empty. What I want you to understand is that sometimes you and I go to the wrong place Carrying stuff that we don't need to be carrying, looking for the wrong thing. They were looking for a dead body. Jesus is alive. They're carrying burdens that they don't need to be carrying. If only they had had faith. If only they had believed. If only they had remembered what Jesus said. They would have known not to look for Jesus in the tomb. Because he said that on the third day I will live again. This reminds me of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Can somebody say thanks be to God? He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the victory that Jesus had over death is the victory that you and I can have over death. You and I need to stop looking among the dead for the things that are living. If your relationship is dying, you need to come to Jesus so it will be resurrected. If your children are lost, you need to come to Jesus so their lives can be resurrected. Stop looking for the living among the dead. Jesus has won the victory for you and for me. Oh, death, where's your victory? Where, where is your sting? There's a story that a father and a son driving in a car, they had the windows open when all of a sudden, as they're driving through the car, a bee flies in. And the child is, is freaking out, just like most of us probably would freak out, right? There's a bee in the car. And the dad turns around and he notices his 
child just freaking out, and the dad is looking at the bee. All of a sudden, dad reaches out, grabs the bee in his hand, and holds it. After a few moments, he lets go of the bee. And once again, the, the, the child is freaking out, Dad, Dad, the bee, why'd you let it go? Why? What did you do? And the dad looks at boy, that bee can't do anything to you. It's only got one stinger. It stung me while I had it in my hand. All it can do now is make a bunch of noise. It can do all it wants to do, but it's not going to hurt you. See, that's what Jesus did for you and for me. He took the sting of death. And the devil can talk, but we know he wants to talk. The world can say whatever it wants to say about you and me. But we know that our victory is the victory that Jesus had over death. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? Such an act on the cross, carrying our sins, carrying our burdens, carrying our diseases, our infirmities, carrying those things that weigh us down. And, and he nailed, they get nailed to the cross. And Jesus is risen in power again. Such an act demands a response from you and from me. Back in the 80s and the 90s, if you were old school churchgoers and you went to the old school door knocking and evangelizing and you, you go up to the door and you knock on the door and you wait, oh, they finally open the door and you would say, if you were to die tonight... Where would your soul go? Would it be in heaven or would it be in hell? Now that today is not very popular to ask. It's probably not the right way to start a conversation. But see, we may bash the old school, but the old school had it right. There should be a concern within us if you know your friends, you know your family, you know your children, and they're far from the Lord, that you, you and I shouldn't be able to sleep very well at night because their eternity is on the line. The story is told of a dying father. They have told him he only had five Six more hours to, to live, and the time is dwindling. He's got his four kids around him, and he knows time is running out. And, and he knows that those last few words are going to be the last words that he says. And, and he turns to his, one of his children. He says, uh, son, son, good night, and I'll see you in the morning. And he turns to the next one and says, son, good night, night. And I'll see you in the morning. He, he turns around and faces the other one and says, Daughter, good night. And I'll see you in the morning. And he turns and he looks at his last son and he says, Son, goodbye. Dad, what, what do you mean goodbye? You said you'll see everybody in the morning. Why are you telling me goodbye? Because these three have Jesus in their heart. And I know I'm going to see them again. 
you, unless things changes, I'll never see you again. So I just want to say goodbye. These are not the most comfortable conversations to have with someone. Because we're asking and we're talking about eternal things that impact, truly, truly impact long after we're gone from this earth. And Easter, this weekend, these celebrations, this cross, even though it was a symbol of death, now we can put all these nice flowers on it and we can look at it and say, that is the most beautiful thing I have ever seen because this cross now represents my life. This cross now represents an opportunity for me. This cross now represents that I have come and I have the ability to go from death to life. Let us look to Jesus. Let us look to the one who was dead but rose again. Our addictions can't save us. Our dependence uh, on drugs, on alcohol, uh, on pornography, our dependence on, on things, on relationships we shouldn't be having, our dependence on things that are not eternal cannot save you and cannot save me. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Salvation is only found Pastor, I've given my life to Jesus, so this message really is not for me. This message is not uh, something that necessarily pertains to me. I'll applaud. I'll, I'll give you props for an amazing sermon. Amen? No amens. Okay. So, uh, it's all right. It's, I, I, I'll listen. I'll sit here. I'll be the good soldier and listen. See, this message is not just for those who haven't accepted Jesus. This message is a, is a reminder. It should be a reminder every day of what Jesus did for you. The day in the morning, the morning when I wake up, I open my eyes. I am reminded just by breathing, just by looking at the sun about what God has done in my life. I look at the cross and I'm reminded of his broken body for me, for my sins, because honestly, church, I still mess up. Just like you mess up. I'm not alone in this. None of us are perfect. We are in continuous need of this life-giving cross. Amen. We are in perpetual need of a Savior in our lives. We go to people's homes. We knock on the door. We talk about insignificant Things we talk about sports, we talk about uh, 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 our kids' activities, we talk about things that are going on in life, and we talk about things that have no true meaning in the eternal realm, and yet we avoid uh, talking and speaking those subjects that will give life to people. 
I'm not saying you can't have normal conversations. I, I, not that this is abnormal, but I'm not saying that you can't have conversations to get to know one another. But there comes a time where the burden for that person's eternal soul should rest on you, Christian. And there comes a time, you that haven't accepted Jesus, haven't given your life to him, where Jesus will call, knock on the door of your heart and say, I'm just waiting for you. You, you sit here, you listen to all the promises that the Bible speaks of, that you hear the messages of the songs that are sung, you, you hear uh, this message of, of, oh, come to the altar, uh, his precious blood has been shed for you. Are you tired and are you overwhelmed by your sin that Jesus is calling you? When will you take that step to receive what Jesus wants to give you or are we just going to continue pressing the other day I broke something I don't want to break anything anymore are you going to continue just pressing I, I, I'll just look the part I'll just fit in I, 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 I you know I, I want to be accepted so I'll just continue coming along and it's good to press against Jesus because the Bible says that, uh, that uh, faith comes from hearing and from hearing the word of God. But there comes that moment when you and I have to open ourselves to receive, to receive him. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Mark 16, 16 says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. There comes a moment where that question that was asked in the 80s and the 90s needs to be asked once again. There's a story in the Bible. I'm going to ask you to stand. There's a story in the Bible where after a year or two of ministry, Jesus has been healing the sick, has been doing all these amazing wonders. And he's gathered with his good friends. And he asks them a question that, that they, he wanted to know about. And he asked them, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples, they started saying, oh, well, some people believe you're Elijah. Some people believe you're Moses. Some people believe you're a prophet. Some people believe this. Some people believe that. But then Jesus stopped them and said, well, okay. But here's a more important question. Who do you say I am? And at the end of this message, that's the question I'm going to ask you. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is in your life?
Because if he is the Savior, if he is the Messiah, there are eternal consequences. There's inter- eternal, uh, eternal uh, ramifications for you and for me if we reject him. But at the same time, if you and I accept him, if you and I believe in him, if you and I put our trust in him, there are eternal gifts that are given to us. So that's the question. Who do you say Jesus is? 